Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Welcome this morning to uh, Greenville Oaks as we begin a new series of lessons uh, called Love Came Down. Uh, For centuries, Christians have been celebrating a season uh, at this time of year called Advent, and Advent simply means coming or arrival. It's the anticipation we have of Jesus entering into the world and celebrating at Christmas time. And so I, I look forward to sharing these messages with you as we anticipate that celebration together. Like parents, who prepare for a baby to be born into the world, uh, we are anticipating Jesus' return ourselves. And this season is a chance to remember that uh, and to uh, wait with anticipation uh, as we've been promised will come Jesus once again. Let's pray as we open God's Word this morning. Father, thank You for the arrival of Jesus into the world and for all that it did to change the reality for Israel and for all that it continues to do in our own lives. Uh, Thank you for grafting us into this story. And uh, God, help us to remain rooted and and established in your love and in your truth and and in the message of your story at this season of the year. God, this morning I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The birth of Jesus is one of those stories that can create some questions if you happen to be a more inquisitive person like myself. This story is about wise men who wander from afar because of a star in the sky coming to worship a king and deliver gifts. This story is about an unwed mother who gives birth to a child at an inconvenient moment. It's about a father who's not exactly the father, but who chooses to stick around because of an angel who appears to tell the rest of the story. It's a story about appearances by angels uh, and animals, which we'll tell the story of again tonight in another way. I was so proud of our kids this morning for that uh, song. I hope you'll come back. It's not a normal story. And I'm a curious kind of person who asks probably too many questions. And not everyone is open to uh, children, particularly as I grew up, asking questions about the Bible, about the stories that we read in Scripture, which reminds me of a story of a time that I was at summer camp at one of our Christian universities. It was between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. And we went to this university and we sat in classes that were on different topics and different ideas that were out there. And I remember this particular class that I intended was a class on the topic of why instrumental music is sinful. Now, if you didn't grow up in Churches of Christ, that may be a little bit strange to you, but we've grown up in a tradition where acapella music has been the way that we have worshipped uh, for the 
most of our history in churches of Christ. And, uh, and, and for some, this was such an important issue that it could send you to hell. And I remember sitting in that class and thinking, as this teacher was teaching about all of those passages in Scripture about instruments that were there, about the Old Testament stories of David who had these gifts, of the Psalms that seemed to be played alongside music. Uh, and then, of course, in the book of Revelation, this trumpet call that would come eventually. And so I began to ask these questions about the Old Testament, about David, and I didn't know that I wasn't exactly supposed to be asking these questions, but it became apparent that these questions weren't welcome in that classroom. Curiosity wasn't valued. And he laid out a case for why the Old Testament was irrelevant and how churches really need to look to New Testament practice. And the case made sense to him, but it was clear by the look on my face it didn't make much sense to me. It hadn't satisfied my curiosity. So he read a Bible verse to me that people have been reading for centuries to people with too many questions to remind us of the mystery of God. Maybe this is a passage you've heard before as well. This is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, uh, be- beginning in verse 8. It says, Therefore my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So those questions, why can we not worship with instruments? Why is mixed bathing a bad idea? Which actually isn't about bathing if you're new to this church thing. Why Jewish women wear head coverings in uh, worship gatherings? And why circumcision is required for Jewish boys? Well, the response we often get is, well, God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts deeper than our thoughts. And in, in no way this morning do I want to deny the mystery of God or that we see through a mirror dimly this morning when one day we will see face to face and have our answers to the questions we have. But I remember hearing from that classroom, well, God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are deeper than our thoughts, so stop asking your questions, young Colin. But it's nearly Christmas of 2019 and I've still got questions. Still got questions about this story. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that verse in the book of Isaiah was actually meant for occasions like that. I think it meant something else. And the evidence I have for that belief is actually this Christmas story that we celebrate. And I'll come back to that in just a little bit. How many of you came to church this morning hoping beyond hope that the text that we would focus on would be a gene- Jewish genealogy in Matthew 1? Anyone? Anyone? We got one, which is good. You blew my joke after that of none of us. But you know, Matthew 1 is the beginning of the story in the New Testament, a story about the birth of Jesus into the world. It's the beginning in Matthew of four Gospels that tell the story of good news, of great tidings of joy entered into the world. And while this is the beginning of a fresh chapter in God's story, it has a beginning that comes well before that. It has a story of Israel and the longing of God's people, of God's people disobeying God's orders and following after other gods. And so if you read the Christmas story without the previous story that comes, it can be a little bit like catching uh, the season finale of a series, or a series finale of a series you never saw, or, or the third movie or book in a trilogy that you haven't read or seen. Jesus arrives on the scene, but he shows up in the context of an ongoing story. And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So turn with me there if you would. The Gospel of Matthew, the very beginning of the New Testament. Matthew 1, verse 1. It says there, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we learn a lot in this first verse. 
Matthew's not trying to hide or wait to pull punches at the end of this story. He says Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. He's important. He's anointed to do something special. And not only that, he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. In other words, he comes from uh, the Jewish Hall of Fame. This is a family of significance that Jesus is born into. He's basically won the lottery when it comes to Jewish families. But as we keep reading on, we realize there's more to this family line if we read between the lines closely enough. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, that's all a good list of uh, family members, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you read on and you read closely, you begin to realize this family tree has some crooked branches. There's some interesting history, some questionable characters, like many of our families as well. Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Now, in any genealogy, you can read over names and miss entire stories. One day, we'll all be a name in a genealogy. But that name in a genealogy has stories. It has so much depth, so much pain in those stories. And in the Bible, if you read closely in the Old Testament, these names aren't just names. They have stories behind them. And verse 3 has a story behind it. <laughs> See, Tamar wasn't Judah's first wife. Initially, Tamar was Judah's son's wife. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, but her husband, Judah's son, Ur, did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and died. And so uh, Judah says, well, why don't you not be out on your own? Why don't you marry my other son, Onan? And uh, I'll let you read in Genesis 38 if you want to read the rest of Onan's story. But he ends up dead as well. And then there's this scene where Judah's wife dies and he ends up accidentally sleeping with Tamar thinking that she's a prostitute. And as a result of that sinful occasion comes the birth of twins. Yes, this story in uh, Matthew 1, it seems like everything should be just great and tidy, but Matthew includes names with stories in the past that are quite messy. Rahab's a foreigner. As we read on, let's read verse 4. Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Again, there's more to these names than what meets the eye. Rahab's a foreigner who happened to be a prostitute in Jericho, who's part of the salvation God brings to the people of Israel. Ruth is a Moabite who just happens to be the great-grandmother of King David. But just in case you thought King David was safe, he's got his own skeletons in the closet too, right? In fact, Matthew's not afraid to bring up those skeletons here in verse 6. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Again, you can glance over a phrase like that and not realize the story behind it that we read in the Old Testament. of David sleeping with one of his soldier's wives and having him go to the front lines to be done away with so that this wife could be his. Stories go on and on. You can read verses 7 to 17 another time. Verse 16 talks about Jacob as the father of Joseph. And even in that text, I'm thinking, yeah, he's the father of Joseph. And you can track the lineage back that way, but it's not really Joseph who's his dad. Mary was a virgin. This is a miracle birth. But even in this history of Joseph, there are all kinds of problems. All kinds of 
difficulty. And that's the problem with God, right? If God's going to bear a son into the world, and it's going to be through human beings, there's no perfect family lineage you can pick or choose. All of us have mistakes in our past. So it's not like there's one perfect line that you would choose to go through with no messy reality behind it. No, there's going to be a mess no matter where you look if God chooses to come in human flesh. There isn't a perfect lineage for the Messiah to come out of. Now, if you were to put Matthew 1 on a movie screen, and you weren't just to gloss over the names, it would not be a G-rated movie. And I'd like to ask you for a moment to put your movie producer hat on. Next week, Matt Mazza is going to preach from the stage. He's going to take the story in verse 18 and following, a story about Joseph and Mary and an angel that arrives in that scene. It's a zoomed-in picture of a story that's much closer than all of these names. But I think if I were to put this on uh, film, verses 1 through 17, it would have to be zoomed out. It would be back to the history, the origins of Israel's story. It's all of these stories in a line. You have to zoom out to see this. You have to get the context. And so before we enter the details of the story of Jesus' birth, Matthew begins by trying to set a context for the story of Jesus' life. See, Jesus came to earth for a particular reason. But to understand that particular reason, you have to understand the context. You have to understand the, the historical background. You have to understand the problem that Israel is experiencing that Jesus becomes the solution to. But maybe this is where we need to remind ourselves in the mystery of the moment of that passage I mentioned earlier in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, when you zoom in on anyone's life into the close details, it can be easy to lose perspective of the entire story. Like an eighth grader who experiences a breakup and thinks this must be the end of the world, there's someone that needs to be able to come in with a few more years' experience to say there will be other relationships. Life will go on. But it's in a moment like that that you need someone who's lived more perspective, that you need to zoom out and see why is Jesus sent to the earth? What's the context? What's the problem that Jesus is sent to solve? God has been trying to work with humans for quite a while now when we come to the New Testament. And all of those past attempts have been unsuccessful at some level, not because of God's lack of success, but because of the unsuccess of us as people that continue to fail. But not, God never gives up trying to restore this relationship. Often in the Old Testament, God is described by a Hebrew term, hesed, what Hesed means is steadfast love, this persistent, consistent love that God shows to us. He never gives up. He pursues us in love. And God tries everything to remain in relationship in order to reconcile the world that has been fractured by sin. I love the way the Hebrews writer puts it in Hebrews chapter 1. You know, if you read closely throughout Scripture, there's a, there's a lot of passages that are really Christmas passages. We just tend to think of the Christmas stories in the Gospels. But Hebrews 1 is relating back to that story, reminding them again of the genealogy where Matthew 1 begins of the past and God's work in the present in that moment. So listen to the Hebrews writer in this Christmas story in chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Think for a moment about all the past attempts that God has made to express His message to try to come and restore humanity. God creates, Garden of e of, in, creates the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve make a mess of it. God saves Noah and his family through the flood and they make a mess of it. God saves Israel from Egypt and they make a mess of it. God establishes Israel in the promised land and they make a mess 
of it. God sends prophets to send warnings to the people of God, and they disregard those warnings. Over and over again, we read attempts by God to pursue His people through messengers and through messages. And over and over again, out of love for us, God pursues us only to be disappointed. But it was never enough. So God chooses to be creative. God chooses to do more than just send messengers or to appear to individuals. Instead, God sends His Son into the world, which is the greatest act of creative love that's ever been seen in planet Earth. It's the greatest act of love that God showed to us is the birth of Jesus. So let me read again Hebrews 1 verse 1 and the rest of the story, which is the Christmas story. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The, the Hebrews writer is telling us the Christmas story. A bit differently than Matthew does, but it's the same story. Think about all the ways God has showed His love for us that the Hebrews writer refers to when he talks about all those times in the past. God showed His love for us by creating Eden for Adam and Eve. God showed His love for us by saving Noah and his family. God showed His love for us by showing His love through people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so many other names we read a moment ago. God showed His love for us by displaying His power in the plagues and in the crossing and the parting of the Red Sea. God showed His love for us by de delivering the Ten Commandments and the law to His people. God showed His love for us by establishing the people of Israel in Jerusalem. But none of that seems to be enough. According to Isaiah, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts but all of that changes in the birth of Jesus. Instead of God's thoughts being higher and left someplace else, God actually enters into the world in Jesus to do what the Hebrews writer says is give us the clearest explanation or the clearest message we could possibly have of what God's love is. The exact representation of God's being. And this isn't to suggest that there aren't still mysteries, that God's thoughts are not higher than our thoughts. Of course, a sovereign God sees more than we can see. But something changes from Isaiah's day to our day to where love has been shown even more clearly than ever before. God's Son was sent in human flesh to the earth to put love on display. The Word became flesh. Christmas is the clearest expression that God has ever made toward humanity of what His love looks like of what His truth looks like in action. Which brings me back to that frustrating passage in Isaiah chapter 55. Let me read it again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways you, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when Isaiah speaks that message, that is absolutely the case. God is somewhere else sending messages from afar through people over and over again who fail and never fully get the message and never fully understand the love that God has. But for those of us who live after Jesus, those higher and deeper thoughts have become flesh. God has spoken clearly through His Son. In Hebrews, the writer says He's the exact representation of God's being. And then if you read the context around that passage I was shared at that university years ago, I realized 
It wasn't what we often use it for. It's specific, the context, about what is higher than our thoughts and deeper than our ways. Listen to this in verse 7. If you back up in Isaiah 55, you can read the entire chapter and it goes to this message. But verse 7 says it clearly. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In this passage, in Isaiah, what he's saying is the mercy that I have that I want to put on display to the nations is larger than anything you can imagine. It's in that context that he's trying to say, I'm going to bring all the nations in. I'm going to pardon any who come my way, any of the wicked who turn from their ways. I'm going to express my love and my grace and my pardon to them. And it was beyond Israel's imagination to understand. Even though in Genesis 12, God had said, I'm going to bless all nations through you, Abram. They had forgotten this so often. It wasn't about Israel. God's mercy was going to extend past that even to us. So these verses that were once used to get me to stop asking questions about a particular topic were actually something different in their original context. Isaiah 55 is God's persistent commitment to give his mercy and pardon to all who come to him. This was never a scripture about a sovereign God we would never understand. This was a scripture about a merciful God who freely pardons. This God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But in the incarnation, in the Christmas story, the Hebrews writer reminds us, in the past God spoke through our ancestors at many times in various ways, but never as clearly as in the Son who shines my glory throughout the world, the exact representation of my being. This is a God who does not stand far off, who refuses to stay away from us, sending messengers, hoping the message will get through. This is a God who comes close to his created beings to express the love and the mercy he has for us. The creator of the universe, whose mercy is more wonderful than we could ever imagine, came to earth to be born in a manger. And why? Because love is best communicated up close. No messenger could ever communicate God's love in the way that God could up close. This is not a God who stands far off from us. Our God took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Our God is a God who sends his love down to us. And what that means is, if we're going to be the people of God who extend His love in the same way that we have received love, it means we cannot stand far off from the suffering in our world. It's important that we get proximate, that we get close, that we come close to those who need the same message. This last weekend, I had an opportunity to be a part of a prayer retreat in El Paso, Texas. It's a racial unity effort that happened, uh, that I've been involved with uh, in Dallas and And this group was going to El Paso, and so I decided to go with them. And there were several things we were praying over. One of them was uh, the shooting that happened in El Paso most recently. Um, And the irony was being a minister from Allen, knowing that it was one of our own in Allen that was actually the one who committed that atrocity that brought that violence to El Paso. There was a memorial there that we gathered around and we prayed and uh, we had no idea what we were going to encounter that day because we showed up to Walmart around this this space where there's an opportunity for us to pray for the people of El Paso, pray for God to bring peace into the midst of our world, that all of a sudden there was a a man that was standing there, and the Walmart employee knew we were praying, and he said, 
Uh, you might want to go over and meet this man. He's the father of the youngest victim that died in the shooting, 15 years old. And so we had a chance to, to meet this man and to pray with him in the midst of the ongoing grief that he and his family are walking through. The irony of a minister from Allen alongside others that are there trying to pray, not knowing who God would bring into our midst. And i got to tell you, it was a healing moment to be able to share and embrace with him and to be able to pray God's love and mercy over him. But not only that, we, we spent time praying over uh, all the violence that's going on in our country, about the immigration crisis at our border as we were there in El Paso. And yesterday, about this time yesterday, I got the chance to walk over into Ciudad Juarez. And as we walked over, we'd heard about, of course, the refugees that are coming from all over Central America and Mexico to the border, uh, waiting their turn to get a chance to apply for refugee status. And so we walked over that bridge and we saw the refugee camp, the tents where many of them are living. Some of them have been there for months and uh, waiting on their number to be called. And I got to meet a guy named Jesus who was there who has uh, two kids, a two-year-old and a six-year-old. His wife is there with them. And uh, Jesus... Uh, told us his story about the drug cartels that had been there in Guerrero in the southern part of Mexico and all that had happened that God had really saved and maintained his life in order to be at this place. It was the only place that he knew to be. And we got a chance to pray with Jesus and got to see the, the, the medical workers that were coming over, the elementary school teachers that are walking over every day in order to educate these children that are in these camps. Amazing to see the people of God at work. And we got a chance to pray in the midst of this space. And it was a reminder for me that it's so easy to, to hear reports and it's so easy to see news stations, and, but it's another thing to walk in close and to hear stories and to get proximate to the suffering in our world and to get a chance to share the love of Jesus in those opportunities. We had no idea that we would come across the father of one of the victims from that shooting. But I can't tell you the healing it was to be able to be the love and presence of Jesus from Allen, Texas of all places, and to get surround that man and get to pray over him and his family. And to be able to be over in Ciudad Juarez and to pray for Jesus and his family. And to see these kids that were there that were singing, I'm in the Lord's army with a church that was over them doing a VBS in the midst of this refugee camp. God is on the move. And it can be hard for us to see. Uh, but Jesus told us where he would be. He told us in Matthew 25 that he's there with those who are cast aside, those that are in prison, those that are hungry, those that are naked. And... Uh, I think that's important for us to remember in the midst of our world, in the midst of the struggle that's all around us, is how do we get proximate to the suffering around us? How do we draw near and get close to hear actual stories instead of standing far off and projecting from afar? This is what God did in the Christmas story. Is God comes from these higher places and he sends his son Jesus into the world to get to know us, to know our names, to show his love in tangible flesh and blood ways. And we have the same opportunity as God's people to respond in the same ways, to walk close to those who are suffering, to share the message of Jesus with all that we encounter. So I want to challenge you this week to think about that. How in your place of work, how in the midst of our city, how in the midst of the opportunities you have, do you get a chance to walk proximately and closely with people and to share the message of Jesus, of love, of mercy that God wants to extend? These are the higher thoughts God has shown us in Jesus. And we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world in a similar, similar way as well. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, this morning we thank you for the incarnation. The story in John that we read of the Word made flesh. 
The story we read in Matthew of a, a baby that was born into the world who was coming to express these higher and deeper thoughts, not by speaking from afar through messengers, but by actually coming into the world and being able to set, willing to sacrifice Jesus' own life on the cross so that we might see your love in an up-close and personal way. I thank you for the ways those first witnesses of the Christmas story uh, passed that story down to us, for the ways it transformed their lives, for the ways that many of them were martyrs themselves because they loved Jesus so much and saw his resurrection and they were empowered by the Spirit so much that they couldn't do anything but express that love in similar ways as the church in the first century. God, we're 20 centuries past that moment. And yet the calling is still the same in our world, a church that is needed, that is willing to step into uh, whatever situations, incarnate ourselves, enflesh ourselves in realities in our world, and to show your love, and to express your truth, and to live out uh, the kingdom that you're bringing to earth. So God, I pray over uh, each one in this, uh, this, uh, this service, God, those that are listening online, those that are in our community, I, I pray that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we would not stand far off from the suffering of the world, but we would be willing to enter in and uh, to get to know stories and to express and pray for others with the good news that you've given and delivered to us. And we pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.